0: The Practicality of Anarchy It is obviously very much in the interests of people who oversee and profit from the operations of states to resist the development of stateless societies. The state is so clearly oppressive and costly that many people would probably explore alternatives to it quite enthusiastically if they imagined that it might be replaceable. The most practical argument in favor of supporting the state is that there really is no alternative to its continued existence. I've pointed out some general reasons why it might make sense to be skeptical about that claim. But the anarchist doesn't have to depend solely on abstract arguments about what could work or what might be likely to work. In a variety of contexts, people seem to manage successfully without much or any help from an authority with a monopoly of force. Relationships between states Start out with the obvious. There's no world state. Some states are much more powerful than others, but no state exercises or claims anything like a monopoly of force across the globe even if some would doubtless like to do so. Of course, there are conflicts, but much of the time states interact peacefully. They resolve disputes. They acknowledge the legitimacy of the outcomes of dispute resolution processes. And there's no big brother on hand to force them to do so. It's fair to bet that they do so for a multiple of reasons. Violence is costly, reputations are important to maintain, and no doubt, at least sometimes, state officials really do want to cooperate with others and really have internalized norms calling for fair, respectful, peaceful behavior. Whatever the explanation, in any particular case, however, states interact without the assistance of a worldwide leviathan. International Exchange What about people and organizations engaged in the exchange of goods and services across state borders? Without a global leviathan, there's no one to make or implement any sort of global commercial law. To be sure, there are treaties, though again, there's no world state to make states adhere to them. But treaties hardly cover every issue likely to arise in commercial transactions. Sometimes, arbitrators resolve international commercial disputes. Sometimes, domestic courts resolve them, even if doing so means having to interpret and apply unfamiliar foreign laws. People who are members of different political communities with different legal systems manage to resolve legal tussles without depending on a single overarching authority with a monopoly of force, and sometimes, indeed, with aid of voluntary arbitration mechanisms. The fact that international commercial disputes can be resolved without the aid of Leviathan suggests that the state is less essential than people often suppose. Merchant's Autonomous Resolution of Disputes People can also opt out of the state's legal system when they deal with each other within state borders. Many people did so for centuries during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. The Lex Mercatoria, merchant's own law, emerged as a predictable response to the absence of uniform standards for commercial transactions involving merchants from different regions. Traveling merchants could take advantage of merchants' courts established at trading fairs around Europe. The courts enforced standards agreeable to the merchant community, reasonably enough since the standards applied to disputes among merchants themselves. The standards were ones that had evolved over time as merchants discovered what worked and what didn't, what was fair and what wasn't, given the kinds of circumstances they characteristically confronted and effective enforcement mechanisms often included boycotts directed at those who declined to pay up or otherwise accept the merchant court's judgments. No doubt, ecclesial and state courts often got involved in merchant disputes, and boycotts were hardly the only enforcement mechanisms. And it's not as if there were a single uniform merchant code, written in cold type with numbered sections, accepted by all merchants. There were doubtless local variations and local law surely figured on occasion. With all these qualifications, however, it appears as if medieval merchants frequently managed to develop and enforce legal norms in ways that helped them resolve disputes involving people from different jurisdictions quite on their own, without the participation of the state. Later generations of traders have continued to do so. Their experience, too, raises obvious questions about states' supposed indispensability as a source of legal rules and law enforcement. Medieval Iceland. Medieval Iceland wasn't an anarchist paradise, but it managed quite nicely without state like institutions for the administration of justice and the maintenance of civil peace. No entity had a monopoly over the use of force. Apart from the funds needed to support a single, part-time worker, the legal system was not dependent on any sort of tax revenue. There was widespread acceptance of a set of norms that governed how limited institutions, juries, as well as other groups, organized but basically voluntary, that bore the costs of members' access to the courts, met people's needs. The institutions were sufficiently stable to last for several centuries, during which Iceland lacked a king, a bureaucracy, or a tax system. Medieval Ireland Things were similar in Medieval Ireland. While there were kings, regional or island-wide, at various points, they had little power, and attempts to establish and maintain kingdoms were not always unsuccessful. People belonged to voluntary associations that stood surety for them and ensured that they would pay damages if they injured others. Conflicts were resolved by non-professional judges. As in Iceland, there was no legal notion of crime as an offense against the state. Rather, all legal conflicts involved alleged injuries to particular people. While Ireland in this period did have some of the superficial characteristics of later states, it featured a justice system that clearly gave the lie to the notion that a centralized authority with a monopoly on force is necessary to resolve potentially violent conflicts. Shasta County, California Ranchers in Shasta County, California could no doubt draw on the local court system, but as a rule, they don't. They've evolved a set of norms governing the kinds of conflicts that they're likely to encounter and the ways in which these norms are to be enforced. Adhering to these norms, they manage a range of disputes without much in the way of reliance on the state. Contemporary Somalia Somalia has lacked a central government for a decade and a half. Here's what's fascinating. The Somalis are better off than they were before. Local institutions have helped people resolve disputes satisfactorily and have facilitated economic exchanges with people in or from other countries, all without the purported benefit of any entity with monopoly of force. Somalia remains desperately poor and racked with violence, and doubtless someone could imagine a perfect, flawless government with the ability to make things better. But the reality remains that, despite tremendous external pressures and internal thuggery, the Somalis have continued to maintain a self-managed, stateless society that represents a distinct improvement over the dictatorship they had previously suffered. The Internet. The state would like to run the internet, but it doesn't. Online, people manage to avoid the state's dictates, voicing dissent, planning demonstrations, engaging in forbidden transactions of all sorts. Obviously, they can't count on the state to help if one of the forbidden transactions goes wrong. But even when a perfectly legal deal is on the table, how often does anyone invoke state authority? Websites provide mechanisms both for reputational assessment of people offering to buy or sell goods and services and also for dispute resolutions. Convenience, social pressure, internalized norms, cash deposits, and the need to maintain the level of trust required if others are to be interested in exchanging goods and services with them, all no doubt increase the likelihood that people will keep agreements and, if they don't, that they will abide by the decisions of agreed-upon dispute resolution mechanisms. The Wild West The West wasn't nearly as wild as movies repeatedly make it appear to be. In reality, it was a relatively peaceful place, with relatively few instances of violence. And no surprise by now, the state wasn't especially involved. Of course, some of the West was theoretically under the control of the United States government and various state and territorial governments but the reality is that the ability of the authorities to prevent or resolve conflict was limited by transportation and communication costs and the relatively small number of available government personnel. So how did people manage? Without the practical involvement of the state, or of anything much like the state, people settled arguments, retrieved stolen goods, and dispensed justice when things went wrong. Sometimes, the sanctions they imposed were harsher than I'd be inclined to support, but it's worth noting that executions, presumably the most serious kinds of sanctions, were rarer than you might think, and that due process seems to have been consistently respected. In the absence of the state, people managed their own affairs with, perhaps, surprising success. Pirates Okay, here's a fun one. Pirates did a surprisingly good job of regulating their relationships. They did so without the state, but also as members of organizations committed to aggressive violence. That might suggest, probably should suggest, that pirates weren't an especially compassionate or fair minded lot. Nonetheless, they proved able to order their relationships reliably. They arranged authority structures. Agreed in advance on the division of loot after an attack, approved disciplinary procedures, and so forth. How? Not because Leviathan was standing over them, but because, as a matter of practicality, they needed to do so if they were to thrive and indeed survive. The State. Who needs it? We don't need the State to preserve peace or maintain justice and social order. People cooperating voluntarily can keep themselves safe and resolve disputes more efficiently and fairly than the state can. The state is dangerous and wasteful, and it cannot, it could not, determine appropriate production levels and distribution patterns for goods and services, including those associated with defense and justice. The past and present experience of a range of social groups, including the experience of states interacting with each other, suggests that the heavy hand of state violence isn't necessary to foster orderly cooperation. And indeed, as I'll highlight in the next three chapters, the state itself poses enormous threats to everyone's freedom and well-being, threats that give all of us good reason to want to seek alternatives.